source of all blessedness. I adore thee for making me capable of knowing thee, for giving me reason and conscience, for leading me to desire thee. I praise thee for the revelation of thyself in the gospel, for thy heart as a dwelling place of pity, for thy thoughts of peace towards me, for thy patience and thy graciousness, for, thy, for the vastness of thy mercy. Thou hast moved my conscience to know how the guilty can be pardoned, the unholy sanctified, the poor enriched. May I be always amongst those who not only hear, but know thee, who walk with and rejoice in thee, who take thee at thy word and find life there. Keep me always longing for a present salvation in Holy Spirit comforts and rejoicings, for spiritual graces and blessings, for help to value my duties as well as my privileges. May I cherish simplicity and godly sincerity of character. Help me to be in reality before thee as I, as in appearance I am before men, to be religious before I profess religion, to leave the world before I enter the church, to set my affections on things above, to shun forbidden follies and vanities, to be a dispenser as well as a partaker of grace, to be prepared to bear evil as well as to do good. O oh God, make me worthy of this calling, that the name of Jesus may be glorified in me and I in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, is Brody here this morning? Where is old Chris Brody? Dude, I hope you had some rest yesterday. Um, if you did, it was well-deserved, uh, and I suspect uh, much needed. Um, in, in what Shane has called the three-man weave, uh, I'm back in the pulpit this month. Uh, and I do plan to actually finish Galatians. Um, if you want to go ahead and make your way to our text, we'll pick up in Galatians 4.8, and we'll make our way through verse 20. And here's how we'll, we'll spend our time this morning. Uh, we'll start with a quick overview of the message of Galatians, kind of get caught up, a little reminder. And then we'll introduce today's passage. And then we're going to spend a lot of time in verses 8 and 9 and move pretty quickly uh, through the rest. So before we dive in, we need to remember that Paul wrote Galatians to protect the church from the false gospel of the Judaizers. The Judaizers taught that while you do need to believe in Jesus, if you want to get into heaven, you also need to obey the law. It was a gospel quote-unquote, of justification by faith and works, or Jesus 
plus Jewishness. And that stands in stark opposition to the gospel of Jesus, which is the good news that sinners are brought into right standing with God by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Galatians 4, beginning in verse 8, Paul says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I've become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you do not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Every year, uh, Christianity Today, which, by the way, I do not endorse, um, it has become increasingly a train wreck of sorts, uh, but they publish every year this article they call their Top Testimonies, which I thought was just hilarious. I'm like, how do you, how do you score out or rank a testimony, um, but they define it as the ones that are shared most on their websites. They track the analytics. They know these are the ones that are shared. And here's a few of the titles from the last couple of years. I used to run with drug addicts and prostitutes. Now I share the gospel with them. My life in Seattle's street gangs was a dead-end street. The booze-filled business trip that made me a Christian. And how about this one? I laid down my Islamic privilege to preach Jesus around the world. Subtitle, How a Direct Descendant of Muhammad Met Christ on a Crowded Pakistani Sidewalk. Now, I didn't read a single one of those articles. Uh, I'm just not that interested in Christianity today, frankly. Um, But if the titles are any indicator, those are some pretty jaw-dropping testimonies. And for years, I viewed mine as relatively boring. But here's the truth. Every testimony of God's saving grace is a jaw-dropping testimony. They are all stunning. And I don't tell you that so you think to yourself, yeah, that's right, Christianity today. My testimony is something too. I'm somebody too. Um, I tell you that to help us put the wonder of God's grace into perspective. 
See, if I'm only amazed at testimonies like the ones in Christianity today, what am I really saying? Aren't I essentially saying that God didn't have to work as hard to save me? But do you realize that your salvation required not one less drop of Jesus' blood than the salvation of the people in those articles? And do you realize that at the moment when God saved you, even if your behavior and circumstances were different, your heart was just as hardened toward God as were the hearts of the people in those articles? And the scripture could not be more clear on this. Consider, for example, Paul's description of the natural human condition in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. He says that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Again, the letter to Ephesians is written to the church. This is all believers. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, we were our own gods of sorts, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, I don't know how that text hits you, but here's the reality That is who you were before you knew Jesus. That's who every Christian was before Christ. You were by nature a child of wrath. And if you're sitting in this room and you don't know Jesus now, that's who you are right now. Apart from Jesus, we are all children of wrath. That's everybody's story. And that's why at the end of the day, if you've been saved out of that, you have exactly the same testimony as everyone else who's been saved out of that. And and what is that testimony? In Galatians 4, 8, and 9, Paul says this. I'm going to grab a couple little pieces from it, and I'll fill in the gaps. But for now, I want you to notice this. Paul tells us, or tells the Galatians, you did not know God, but now you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God. If you're in Christ, that is your testimony. There was a time when you didn't know God, and then God changed that. There was a time when you were enslaved to your sin and to gods that don't exist, and then God adopted you. He made you his child through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, He paid the full penalty for your sins and earned your peace with God, then this is your testimony. You did not know God, but now you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God. And let me tell you something, there's nothing better than that. That's the jaw-dropping testimony, and it's the testimony of every Christian on the planet. Now notice with me in Galatians 4.8, Paul says there was a time when the Galatians didn't know God. So no one is born Christian. That's not just the common experience of the Galatians. As we saw in Ephesians 2.1-3, that's the common experience of all people. We are born dead in sin. And Paul notes that when they didn't know God, the Galatians were, quote, enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. 
Now, the root of this Greek word for enslaved doesn't just mean to serve, but to be dominated by. Martin Luther observed that among unbelievers, all ignorance about the things of God is invincible. Think about that. There's no escaping or freeing ourselves from this slavery. It's inescapable. And to whom were we enslaved? Paul says we were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Notice what Paul is saying. He's not saying that among all the gods, the God of the Bible is the best one or the most powerful one. He's saying there are no other gods. They don't exist. They're imaginary. Like a mirage in the desert, they're not real. And yet, first century Galatia was loaded with the worship of false gods. Some were devoted to ancient Greek gods, as there was a temple to Zeus located just outside the Galatian city of Lystra. Others were devoted to the Roman imperial cult, which believed that some of the Roman emperors were divine. Others were likely caught up in astrology, worshiping stars and such, and the list goes on. And not a single one of those so-called gods exists. Today, the same can be said of Allah. I know I've mentioned this before, but it seems appropriate here. Allah is as real as you would expect after some guy spends extended periods of time alone in the wilderness and then says, trust me, an angel just gave me the revelation of God. There is zero reason to think that's true. He does not exist. The false god of Mormonism is in the same boat. The false god of the Jehovah's Witnesses doesn't exist. And it is a single one of the countless Hindu gods. They are not there. It's not choosing the God who's the best. It's recognizing the only God who is there. So in verse 9, Paul says, but you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Again, not a God, God, the God. The Galatians know him. We, through Christ, know him. Yeah, these people who did not know God now know him. But this word for know isn't, uh, I know the capital of Texas. In this context, it's more like, I know Nathan, Rebecca, and Hudson Barnes. Verse 6 tells us that the Galatians knew God as their father. That's how they knew him. And they didn't know God like a father. They knew him as their father. And that's important because it's easy to think of earthly fatherhood as ultimate fatherhood. But it's not. Earthly fatherhood is derivative fatherhood. I'm a father, right? But my fatherhood is derived from God, the father. And Paul reminds the Galatians that he's their father. They know him like that. And then Paul makes what seems like a passing clarification that I think is nothing of the sort, and it should lead us straight to worship. He reminds them how they became children of God. How did this happen? How is it that they once didn't know God, and now they do? In verse 9, Paul says, But you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Notice who initiated the relationship. The Galatians know God 
because he chose to know them. And the same is true for all who are in Christ. You know God because he chose to know you. He sent his spirit into your heart. He adopted you. It is all his work. So do you see what's happened here? In his own freedom, God freed the Galatians from damning bondage to gods that don't even exist. As a result, the Galatians were really adopted as sons and daughters of the real God, the God who is. He made himself their father. And if you know Jesus, he's your father too. Your father. And he's made you co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We were enslaved to sin and headed straight to hell because of our willful deliberate rebellion against God and while God was under zero obligation he had mercy on us Paul tells us in Galatians 3 13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law how by becoming a curse for us the blameless son of God Jesus Christ became guilty of our sin and bore the wrath that we deserved. He was punished in our place. And the result? We get forgiveness, reconciliation, and adoption. And God did that work for us. He did all of the work required to make that happen. Like you, you can't put words to that. I mean, what, what words could possibly do justice to how incredible that is? But in our text, we see that many of the Galatians apparently didn't see it that way anymore. For them, the, the gospel had lost its luster. God's grace wasn't so amazing anymore. They were more impressed with the worthless idols they worshipped before. So in the last half of Galatians 4.9, Paul asks them, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, Galatia was a pagan region. It's, it was located uh, kind of in west-central Turkey, uh, if you were looking at a globe, it would be due north of Cyprus, about halfway up into Turkey. Uh, I got on Google Maps because I'm a dork. I wanted to know the distance from that roughly that region to Jerusalem. It's like a 265-hour walk to get there. Okay, So they were very, very disconnected uh, from anything that would have seemed even Jewish, uh, much less Christian by the time Paul got there. Um, So they didn't grow up Jewish, but like Judaism, their pagan worship would have included festivals, meals, sacrifices, and rituals. And like many of the Jews, pagans were convinced that divine favor was for sale. And the currency was their obedience, their, their works. And that's the distorted gospel the Judaizers were selling. Believing in Jesus will get you started, they would say. 
But if you want to get into heaven, you've got to jump through the hoops of Jewish law. Now let me talk to the kids here for a minute. Kids, what would you think uh, if your parents said this? Listen, we may let you eat today if you do enough chores around the house. Is that good parent? <laughs> that was clearly a dad. Uh, is that good parenting, kids? No. No. Hey, that's not parenting at all, is it? What do we call that? That's called slavery. Right? That's slavery. All right, I have one more question for you, kids. Uh, if you had the chance... Would you choose to leave your home and your parents to go live with someone who might let you eat if you get enough chores done? No, thank you. Absolutely. You say, man, come on, bald guy. That is a dumb question. That doesn't even make sense. Why would I do that? How could you lose sight of the goodness and blessing and grace you receive from your parents that you would leave them to become a slave. How could you even do that? That would be insane, wouldn't it? And yet, that's what the Galatians were doing. That's why Paul asked them, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? If they had received forgiveness reconciliation and adoption as gifts of God's grace how could they possibly turn away from the goodness and blessing and grace of God to become slaves again performing certain rituals at certain times in the hope of earning favor from gods who aren't even there that's insanity and so Paul fears that he may have labored over them in vain He's concerned that the gospel work he did among them has resulted in nothing more than the Galatians exchanging their pagan rituals for Jewish ones. Then in verse 12, we get a glimpse into Paul's desperation for the Galatians to love the gospel of Jesus. He says, brothers, I entreat you. This can be translated, I beg of you. Please. And in verses 19 and 20, we get more insight into Paul's concern and longing for the Galatians to make much of Christ. He says this. He calls them his little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you as does every faithful shepherd. Paul longs to see signs of life and growth in Christ among his people, and it pains him when he doesn't. And Paul's pain makes sense in light of the opening chapter of Galatians, in which he made it clear that the so-called gospel of the Judaizers doesn't constitute a second-tier in-house disagreement. It's life or death. So in Galatians 4.12, Paul begs, he pleads for the Galatians to become as I am, for I also have become as you are. 
Now, in Greek and in English, it's strange wording, but I'll tell you what I think Paul's saying here. I think Paul is begging the Galatians to abandon confidence in their ability to earn God's favor. God's favor is not for sale. It's a gift of grace, and that's it. And he's saying, Paul is saying, hey, that's what I did, so come and follow me in that. I abandoned my confidence in the flesh, so come follow me in that. In Philippians 3, uh, verses 8b through 9, Paul says this, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Those are the words of Paul who had just called himself, identified himself as having once been considered a a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a man among boys in Judaism. And yet he says, all that's worthless, all that's self-earning, me doing the work, me buying God's grace worthless and so he pleads with the Galatians become as I am abandon that stuff get rid of your confidence in the flesh and then he reminds them that he also became as they are without compromising his faithfulness to Christ he became like them to minister to him he was with them he was among them he shared his life with them he did life with them He gave himself up for their benefit. And in verses 13 through 17, Paul rehashes his time with the Galatians. In essence, he says this. When I was with you, I wasn't your enemy. I told you the truth and I loved you and you knew it. And you loved the truth and you loved me. And it was obvious That's why you sacrificed yourselves for me so joyfully, even through my physical condition, presumably a problem with his eyes, by the way, placed a heavy burden upon you. I wasn't your enemy. So how did we get here? How have you come to see me as your enemy for telling you the truth that you loved when I was with you? And the irony is that the Judaizers were their enemies, of course, Paul wasn't their enemy. The Judaizers were. They didn't give a rip about Christ or the Galatians. Like everyone who distorts the gospel, the Judaizers were in it for themselves. They wanted to shut out the Galatians from Christ and from the freedom they had in him. See, in Christ, we have freedom from man-made rules and regulations, and we have freedom from the law. And that gets all over people who, like the Judaizers, are thirsty for their own power and glory. They don't like that. you got to jump through the hoops I tell you to jump through. And the worst part is, these Judaizers had infiltrated the church. They were in the visible church. They would have been sitting in the pews, if you will, or maybe even standing in the pulpit. And so there's a warning for us here this morning, and and, and it's this. 
Please don't ever let anyone convince you that you were saved by Jesus and your works. The world, including some inside the visible church, is crawling with people who are dying to put you back under the yoke of slavery so that you'll jump through their hoops and grant them the power and influence over you that they crave. Do not buy that garbage. And why would you? When though you did not know God, now you know God. You have forgiveness, reconciliation, and adoption. And you didn't initiate it or pay a dime for it. God has done it all. As we sang this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth, the elemental spirits, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy to us. God, we praise you that we once didn't know you, but now we do. And that that is all your work. You accomplished it. You got everything done that needed to be done to save us. To grant us forgiveness, reconciliation, and adoption. God, you are our Father. And that is all by your grace. And so God, please guard us, guard us, banish from us any thought that we're earning stuff from you through our obedience. We are not earning anything from you. The wages of our sin is death, but you have given us this gift in Christ of eternal life. And so God, I pray that we place all of our confidence in the work that Jesus has done for us. And I pray that you guard Sylvania Church from that. I pray that you guard Bethel Bible Church. I pray that you guard South Spring and Green Acres. God, I, I pray that you guard your church from this false gospel of Christ plus works. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.